Hi, everybody. Welcome to Busy Living So Bar. Busy Living So Bar. I'm here with my friend Kathy. What's up? Hello, everybody. I'm Kathy, and I am an alcoholic. Oh, you are? <laughs> oh, my God. Look, it sounds like you're in a meeting or something. So um, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, my name's Kathy. I'm an alcoholic and the bonus edition of a drug addict, too, which many of us are. I'm from the Detroit area, suburb of Michigan there, out of Detroit. Um, and I have been sober since April 18th, 2004. So I'm coming up on my 16th year, and um, I'm here in... Florida with Busy. I met her in March, and just a beautiful thing, this program, this life of recovery I, that I never knew was possible when I was deep in my addiction and uh, my corrupt lifestyle, um, met Busy, and I must say the meeting I found in Fort Lauderdale, Florida has completely rebooted my program. You know, for me, sobriety has gotten better and better, you know, the more years that go by. But it, it kind of transforms. You know, recovery can be stagnant at times. Um, and fortunately for me, suddenly, organically, it's um, I've added completely to my program. I, You know, here I am almost 16 years later. My meetings were falling off at home a little bit. You know, I wasn't going to drink or use, but, you know, the emotional sobriety is something we want to always maintain and foster. Um, and down here, I've been going to this meeting five mornings a week. It's literature-based, something new and fresh, you know, by the book five mornings a week, and I am completely, I think, transformed. You know, I've been able to share that with my friends back home, too, and I'm like, you guys, you've got to, like, reboot. My friends with long-term sobriety, I said, you can make it better. It can get better and better, even as long as you've been sober. Um, so I, I got to say, this this busy girl, <laughs> she's a motivator, and she just, I mean, I oh. love this podcast format and everything she has really added to my program oh by my engaging me again in the program well thank you for that and you know i want to tell you guess what it's this is episode 145 wow 145 episodes of busy living sober and it's um it's amazing because you know i i always like to go back to day one i always think back to the first step and day one because we have a lot of people that listen you know that have never been to a meeting have really no intention of ever going to a meeting, let's be fair, because they're like, what is a meeting? Where is a meeting? And, oh, my God, that thing, AA, I don't even know what that is, or alcoholics, not, that sounds scary, a lot of fear-driven people. You know, it's just, it's hard, right? It's hard. And um, I really asked Kathy because she's got such a, her personality is so warm and her heart is so huge, and she's an amazing, amazing woman. And, um, and she's doing it you know, one day at a time and she's willing and she's willing and she's willing. And I love her openness and her ability to say yes. She says yes. And a lot of us used to say no a lot of the time. So here we are, Kath, in January 2020, new decade, ready to rock and roll. You've got almost 16 years. You're not there yet, but you're almost there. 
And what would you be, what words of advice would you give to somebody who's like, okay, I just went through the holidays. It was not good. I know I may have a problem. I don't know what to do next. Um, that being said, you know, what is your advice to somebody? And I know a lot of people, and I just want to throw this in out there. You know, a lot of people do that January, that no booze January. Yeah. What's it called? Probably dry January. I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> January, dry January. I don't even know what the... I, there could be a technical name, but of course we're sober, so we don't know. JF's called no juice November, I, January. I don't know. Anyway, so people who say, you know what? For the month of January, I'm not going to drink. So those are two full questions I have for you. Sure. Um, you know, I, I review that concept of the dry January. Um, for me, for one thing... I always am suspicious of, you know, for instance, if I have to ask if I have a problem or if someone has to ask if they have a problem, generally you do. <laughs> um, and if you need to go dry for a month, there might be some substance behind that, some reason you're doing that. But pay it, you know, if that's your goal and you want to be dry for a month and check it out, I would say really pay attention to how that feels, you know, on both sides of it. Does it feel good not drinking or does it feel bad not drinking? Are you craving alcohol and drugs or whatever your choice? You know, has it? are you just waiting for February 1st to come to, for this nonsense to end? Um, you know, for me, it wasn't until I was able to put stuff down and really get it out of my system um, that I was able to feel another way of life. You know, and I always say, a lot of people say they relapse, they relapse. For me, you know, until April 18th, 2004, I believe I never gave recovery a full chance. I just didn't commit to it. And it took a huge commitment by me, you know, body, spirit, and um, everything, physical, whatever. Um, I needed to hit it from every angle. Not everybody does need to go into treatment. They can do it on their own, whatever. I needed definitely to go into a treatment center where I was advised after 30 days, you know, you need to get into AA. And when I got back into my hometown, I hid it from every angle. You know, I went to AA meetings. I went to a therapist. I went to outpatient. I, um, I, I finally found spirituality in my life, too. And I didn't do everything right, and I advised, you know, those that I mentor under me, don't do it my way. You know, my pain and suffering lasted a little longer than it really had to in the beginning. Like it was probably two years before I had an official sponsor. And, you know, I was doing fine. I call it the the one, two, three step. You know, I didn't sit at any other tables other than um, those steps. You know, I was just a little bit in the program. Um, you know, and like Busy says, for people that may never want to go to a meeting, you know, thank God there's this format where you can hear about people that, you know, do practice recovery and do do it by the book. You know, one thing I could say also is get the book, get the big book. You know, you could. I remember when I was in treatment, I was so filled with my shame about, oh my God, I'm a loser, I'm an alcoholic, drug addict, you know, no one else has this issue, or at least was addressing it. Um, I ended up 
decorating my big books. I, I said, I'm going to be sitting on the beach this summer, and no one's going to realize the kind of book I'm reading. <laughs> but, you know, now I'm like, I carry it around. I, I express to everybody, you know, that I'm in recovery. And that's been a big hurdle for me, to being transparent about that. But I also, in my own life, how can I possibly help someone else unless I let you know what I've gone through and what I maintenance every single day of my life. So when you just mentioned, you mentioned maintenance and you mentioned your story. So can you tell us a little bit or whatever, as much as you want to tell us about what happened? We always love, I don't know, the listeners love to hear what happened so that they can relate to you. So what happened that made you finally go to the, go into rehab and ask for help in April? Of 20, um, 2004. Well, I, like many people in recovery, I have a long, long history, obviously, of drinking and drugs, which started in my early teens. I would say 12 or 13 years old, I was experimenting with things. You know, by 14, you know, hitting the babysitter's liquor cabinet, you know, the babysitting for the neighbors and things. Um, And it wasn't, you know, I grew up in the 60s, 70s. It wasn't unusual that all this was happening. My older brothers and sisters, you know, I was witnessing them getting in trouble in the family for things. It was just, and it happened a lot. Younger kids were getting a hold of stuff. Their older siblings were... um, using in high school or whatnot. So I was in junior high when my career started um, and spent all the way till 44 years old um, through the different stages, I call it, of the addiction. You know, what started off as socially and kind of fun kind of went into, you know, a little abusive use Till it was addictive use, and then later in my years, um, full-blown, like beyond addiction, it was like medicinal. It was what I did every single morning. And I, for me, becoming a um, mother, for some reason, that pushed me over the edge. I don't know if you know, they say you never really mature if you're, you know, drinking and drugging. So I probably was pretty immature, even though I was having children, you know, in my late 30s. And it really did put me over the edge. I felt isolated. My husband at the time traveled a lot. I didn't have any neighbors with kids. And I kind of lost myself. I mean, as I look back, I'm like, oh, my God, my kids are the most important thing in my life other than sobriety um, now but it really made a platform for me to go to town on my drinking and drugging and it was really hard you know after I got clean and sober when my kids were six and nine so all those years between them was such a struggle and such a it was an SH show. <laughs> um, 
I kept getting called out. You know, there's all those horrible things that keep happening. Like you think you're pulling the wool over everybody and, you know, you come home from somewhere and your husband's pulled out the garbage bags and has set up all the bottles he's found on the counter with the kids watching. Um, Or you have a partner like I did that it was okay to use with him you know, because he was monitoring it, but not without. So it was very confusing. And I also, you know, I'm not married to that man anymore. Um, I don't know if we ever would have made it, but if anybody, you know, has a partner that they don't have the problem like you do, I highly recommend Al-Anon. Sometimes I think our marriage could have made it had I been with someone that rather than pointing and blaming me about my drinking and drug use, like went and got educated about it. Because I spent all this time healing myself. And I, you know, and we look at that, we're so fortunate to be, you know, learning about ourselves and learning about the disease. And we're constantly healing ourselves. But our family doesn't heal at the same pace. You know, they're not usually going to therapy or, you know, group sessions or anything, or even, you know, communicating with other um, like minds. So, you know, remember and be gentle with your family that they might not be on the same page as you are as you get healthier. I love that. I can envision. I hate that that vision of your uh, your your ex husband pulling out all those bottles and your little kids there in their pajamas, and you're standing there feeling so ashamed and so remorseful, and you're like, "Oh my God, I did it again, and now I got busted." Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of women that are listening can probably hear that, and that it happened when you were, you know, when your kids were little. And I I didn't have postpartum depression, but do you think you did? As I look back, I I believe I I did, yes. And it wasn't talked about back then? No. 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 I mean, today they talk about everything. They've got a name for everything. They've got a cure for everything. You can go talk. I mean, it's definitely a lot different today than it was back then. But if this person's listening and they're like, oh, my God, I had kids and now I feel totally overwhelmed and I don't know what to do with myself... There is, there are cures out there, right? But having that feeling of feeling alone and having the babies and having your husband doing this and, and then going, so was that it? Was that it? The the bottles were there and you were like, okay, now it's time for me. Or was it? It was over and over trying to stop. Oh, years and years. You know, I'd get two months in, go back, three months in, go back, go to a therapist, lie my head off to him because I didn't want him to think. I wasn't getting better, <laughs> um, but there was it. I'm not even sure the exact reason or whatnot, other than I was so tired, so tired of trying to maintain this ridiculous lifestyle of, you know, dragging myself out of bed, you know, taking care of the kids, getting them here, and manipulating the checking account and this account to, you know, get drugs and then be drunk by 12 or 1 and you know and I some some of us have some enablers in our life too I don't know if my dad knew what was going on but he was always picking the kids up from school for me thank God um and you know bless my dad he's not with us anymore but um I was fortunate enough 
to spend a bunch of years in his later years sober in front of him. And he was one of the first people I turned to when I had that little sliver. I always call it, you know, like the door opened just enough and this light came through it. And that light was, for me, a spiritual enlightenment that said, you need to change and you can do this. Like grab a hold of that doorknob, open the door and get in the light. And that's when I, you know, I kind of like busted myself. I realized if I was going to do this thing, I had to hit it from every angle. I had to call myself out. And my dad was the first person I said, Dad, I need help. You know, I, I, and he knew it. You know, he was just so kind and sweet and didn't want to really call me out on anything. He, I think he figured I'd figure it out eventually. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sharp, but (laughs) was not acting that way. Um, and it was amazing that he said, I know people. I know, you know, partner in my business, wife is in recovery. We'll call her. And I was like, whoa, really? And I got a hold of her on the phone, and she's like, I didn't even know your dad knew I was sober. <laughs> I'm like, well, I, don't, I guess he knows Isn't a lot. The- <laughs> so I spent that, like, a week and a half calling this poor woman, like, just ranting and raving about life and everything's awful but I was committed that I was going to do something about it and by then my husband was done paying for you know any kind of outpatient treatments or psychiatry work he said you're on your own here and I you know had a little money saved and I was going to pay for treatment myself, and um, I had to get on. And mind you, I'm using 24 hours a day trying to book myself into, you know, a rehab facility, and I did. And um, and I I got in like a week and a half later, flew out to Minnesota. Um, of course, drank my head off all the way on the plane, but I was committed. You know, I'd already, that had always been my plan. I'm going to, you know, party up till I poop it out there. (laughs) Um, and I showed up at the treatment center and it was like a shocker. They have a medical facility that you have to stay in first. And I remember I hid in the bed for two days. They're like, you're really only supposed to stay in here for one day. And I was like, under the covers, like, I don't want to ever come out, ever, ever. <laughs> and they finally, you know, coaxed me out. And um, and I graduated over to the regular, you know, recovery center there. And I just went at this thing like a cheerleader. I was almost like irritating for the rest of the group on the floor you know, some people have such enthusiasm, and if you don't want this, we can be very annoying <laughs> to get around someone that really wants to be sober and stay sober. So, and I love that because it is—it's hard when. But I wanted just like you described. It's like once you hit that plateau where you're like, okay. And I didn't, as a lot of listeners who know, I didn't go to treatment. I mean, I got went to treatment when I was 18, but didn't stay. And then by the time I got sober when I was 37, no one was going to take my kids. So I was like, I just went to AA. By the grace of God, I didn't have to detox or anything, but that's because people can die. If you decide to quit drinking by yourself and you have been drinking for long enough, you could die if you don't go to a hospital and get treated by a doctor. And, you know, that's something I'm going to just throw out there. But 
I loved what you said about the shame part. The shame. I didn't, my dad, my dad called somebody. And the woman was like, I don't even know I was sober. I didn't even know he was sober. But it's that shame part, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm all, that's what this, you know, this is what one of my missions is to get in, getting rid of the shame because we all, the, I mean, how many people do we know that are effective? I, I mean, I cannot tell you that I've gone to nail salons, hairstyle, da, da, da. I mean, the line could go on and on and or tell somebody on the plane that what I do and everybody's like, oh, I know somebody that's da, da, da. So it's. That's one of the things I wanted to point out that you said. And you went in there and you were scared. You were so scared, right? You were so fearful. Like, what am I doing? I got a drink on the way there. And then you hide in the covers and you're like, nobody's going to find me. I'm going to stay here. And you should see how cute she is. She's so, <laughs> Kathy's very <laughs> tiny and little and petite and just gorgeous. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can see you with those sheets going, don't bother me. So you went out and then you got home and you were like off to the races. You were well, ready to. And, but the. It was, you know, I thought I was scared going in. I was more scared going out. I was leaving the safe bubble. You know, I had no access to anything. It was a protected environment. You know, that right, you know, like about a week before I'm supposed to come home, I start getting antsy, like, uh uh-oh, uh-oh, reality, reality. And they, you know, it's such a professional I want to I don't want to say business but it it's recovery part you know the, the treatment it, center yeah. is so professional and knowledgeable that they know exactly what to expect for you for each individual um and they did they briefed me you know they're like this isn't going to be easy you know you've got to get home you got to hit it from every angle and I did and, um, you know, I, I will say it was so nice to see my kids again and get settled in. And there, you know, strange things happen. Like, I was so mixed up for so many years that I don't think my family, I didn't even know. I had to guard my emotions for so long for, you know, I didn't want to be suspected of being drunk or high. So I was kind of a blank person and I remember some of the first times I started laughing hysterically out loud like that deep gut-wrenching tears out of your eyes laughing my husband looked at me like are you high and I was I was a little offended but I I you know I had to realize like I couldn't I couldn't play victim or anything anymore you know it is what it is I put people through a lot of scary sad times and I just needed to button that lip and move forward and and I was a blank canvas and I I looked at that in a positive way like I'm going to make my life the best I can and I'm going to you know I don't know how long I'll live in this life but I intend to have the memory of me in my children's eyes and my friends eyes and whatnot um be a a you know, I don't not outstanding, but I want to be a respected piece of their lives. They'll always remember that they can count on. And I, I have to tell you, my um, daughter, her letter to get into med school was it med school? I can't remember if it was undergrad or med. Um, was all about. Uh, someone in her life that completely changed their behavior, like addictive behavior. You know, and she didn't mention names, blah, 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 but it was me. And she got into med school. (laughs) (laughs) 
But isn't that amazing? Because she did watch you. She watched yeah. you get through this, and it was the hardest time. And how long did you stay married to your husband? Uh, like 20 years or so. Really? Sober? Yeah. yeah. Well, not 20 no. after that. But. No, but so how long were you married after that? Uh, like 10 years. And it just got to be too hard because you're living one life. Well, and, and, you know, to his credit, he's a great guy. And he really wanted a partner that he could have his fine wine with and whatnot. And I was never going to be able to be that woman. And yeah. he didn't want to change that either. So it's all right. It's all good. But if you're out there and you're feeling like, oh, my gosh, I'm in this relationship. My spouse is not me like me. I'm the one that wants to go on this path. It's possible. Yeah. And it didn't end in a happy, I mean, but it did kind of end in a happy ending because you're both really happy now. Yeah. And uh, Kathy just had an amazing thing happen to her. What happened to you last summer? <laughs> uh, oh, the engagement? Yeah. I'm got- engaged now. To a great guy. Been engaged for about a year. (laughs) (laughs) Um, To a great guy. Yeah, and he's in recovery. That works for me. Yeah. Um, You're on the same page. Yes. You speak the same language. Yep. It makes it a little bit easier. Definitely. Even though I do think some people do stay married, it's just, it takes a lot of work, right? It takes yes. a lot of work. And you mentioned that you saw a therapist and you mentioned that you, like all the, we get a whole tribe around us, right? Yep. We're like, who's our posse that I've got to work with? And it's like when you're in, you know, our 12 step program that we're in, you know, we have each other and it's so important. You know, I read so many different, um, you know, quotes and inspirations and they're all about being with others you know it's so important to be where you can be you yes I was such a recluse in my using days I mean even like the simple physical aspect I would never hug anybody I would never get close to them and talk because my breath always reeked of alcohol I never wanted to be you know found out and all the ridiculous things I used to eat to cover my I must have like Reeked the onions I'd put in my mouth, the Doritos. <laughs> Ridiculous. Well, we'll do anything because of the shame, right? Yeah. We're so ashamed of ourselves. And was, that's the whole thing. It's like we're so ashamed that we have this disease. And we can't stop it. And we can't stop it. And did anybody in your family have it? Not that I know of, which, you know, I feel so blessed that I can tell my kids, you know, I'm not even sure... I think my son, he's 21, I think he's had a drink, but, um, you know, I tell both my kids, I go, heads up here, I go, if you're drinking and you want another and another and another, you might want to pay attention to that. You know, my parents, they, and I'm, it's just ignorance, who knew? But I would have loved them to say, you know, Back, well, literally, back when I was in eighth grade when I got suspended from school for smoking pot, um, I actually would have loved my mother to say to me, rather than shaming me, you know, you're bad, 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 you know, what if we flip that around and say, you know, you could be becoming ill, you could be becoming addicted to something, you know, I'm concerned, not you're a bad person, you're a sick person. See, I love that. You're not a bad person. You're a sick person. And nobody ever told me that either. And that's one of my biggest things is, like, nobody in my family ever said, okay, by the way, both your grandmothers are alcoholic. You might want to, like, be careful because you're getting in trouble at such a young age. Mm-hmm. You know, 
we were sharing more stories this morning with these guys, Kathy and I, and, you know, it's like, I don't regret it. I don't regret it. I don't regret it. I had crazy times. It was part of my life. It's part of what gave me the wrinkles that I have on my face and all. But, um, you know, if you have it, there's nothing to be ashamed of. No. No. It doesn't, it, you're not a bad person. You're not, not you're, there's nothing wrong with your morals, okay? Yes. You're not like, you're, it's just. It's, and you might be being contacted and not realize it. I was yeah. contacted often by my higher power, which I didn't care to believe in years ago. Um, all sorts of little God taps and God winks and like you're on the wrong path. But I didn't pay attention to those things. So many consequences or God taps, I call them. So many chances to take a look at this thing that I didn't. I just didn't. Till you know, and they say that, you know, you're going to be tapped on the shoulder or eventually you're going to be walloped with a mallet or the board. Um, I didn't quite get to the board to the head, but, um, thank God. Yeah. Um, and I didn't hurt anybody truly physically. No, we just hurt ourselves. Yeah. It's the worst part is we hurt ourselves and we don't think we are. And I would call people and I'd be like, was I that bad last night? You know, uh, I used to keep a yellow pad next to the phone, like, and think I was so organized. Every conversation I'd take notes. Ridiculous. (laughs) What we do to stay in our addiction is insane. And anything to just keep drinking and not have to feel, right? It's all about not feeling. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, Kathy, thank you so much. Thank you. This was awesome. This was so awesome. I knew it would be. I really, I'm going to miss you. She's going back to Michigan. We all think she's crazy because it's actually so beautiful in Florida today. You can, there's not a cloud in the sky. We already went by the ocean. It's flat, but she has to go up to Michigan. Just temporarily. She's going to come right back. She promises right back. (laughs) But um, thanks again. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And until next week, everybody, keep getting busy living sober. Bye-bye.